Folks, welcome back to another episode of Coffee, Tea, and Crime. Our episode today is going to be Montana Murder Spree. Folks, our story is going to center around the small town of Manhattan, Montana. Now, our suspect, his family had originally lived in Bozeman, Montana. But in the early 60s, father, mother, and the five kids had moved to Manhattan. And our suspect did kind of odd jobs and whatnot after he graduated from high school around 1967. In 1968, he was drafted, and he joined the Marine Corps. So he was sent to San Diego, California, and he was assigned to the Signal Corps. In 1969, he went to Vietnam, served in the 5th Communications Battalion. In 1971, he came back to the United States and he was posted at the Marine Corps base there at Camp Pendleton, which is just a little north of San Diego. Now, in 1973, he got an honorable discharge from the Marine Corps and he came back to Manhattan. Now, he was a self-employed handyman and a carpenter. In fact, he had a little shop there in Manhattan. There must have been something amiss within the family because now he had a younger brother who in 1986 got arrested for a string of child rapes near Seattle, Washington. And he served 29 years in prison. Now, of course, the thought's always been is the brother, was he involved in the suspect's crimes? Now, the suspect's crimes were even more heinous than child rapes. Because when this story is over, he will have confessed to four murders, and he's suspected of committing several more. It's March 19th, 1967. Two young boys, both around 13 years of age, they're up on Nixon Gulch Road 
playing around the bridge up there that crosses the Gallatin River. Now this is just north of Manhattan. Now they're up there being kids. They're throwing chunks of ice into the river and then throwing ice at each other and generally having a good time. Now they're up up near the bridge itself when a car comes through. Now the resource material doesn't say one way or the other, but I'm pretty sure our suspect who was in that car when he crossed the bridge just looking at the surrounding landscape I would say he's probably going northbound on Nixon Gulch Road and then crosses over the bridge because now the road makes a bend back to the right now about a hundred yards past the bridge the road is blocked by trees and brush and our suspect he stops his car there he opens up the trunk of his car and he takes out a 22 caliber rifle then he walks down into the brush goes down by the edge of the river. Now Bernard Pullman, he decides he's going to climb up on one of the pillars on the bridge itself. Now again, I don't know which side of the bridge he was climbed up on, but now if I had to guess, I would say it was would be the east side of the bridge because that would be the side closest to where our suspect was probably hiding in the bushes. A little Bernard, he gets up there on the guardrail pillar of the bridge there and he hollers out at his friend. He says, hey, watch this. That was the last words that Bernard ever spoke because our suspect cranked off one round it hit Bernard and he fell off into the river our suspect goes back up the hill puts the rifle in the trunk of his car and keeps on driving now it took just about a month to find Bernard's body because this happened on March 19th and they didn't find his body till April the 12th. Now they thought it was an accident. He just slipped and fallen and drowned. That is until they looked at the body and discovered there was a bullet hole in his chest. The resource material claims that the one shot hit Bernard in the heart. I don't know if that's true or not, but it hit him in the chest and that was enough. Now if you look at the medical examiner's report 
See, they listed as occurring in Gallatin County, Montana. And then the place of occurrence is going to be the Gallatin River, north of Manhattan. Cause of death, gunshot wound. Now, the time it occurred, it happened at 3.19 p.m. on March 19, 1967. And they find his body on April 12, 1967. Folks, when Bernard's body was found and it was discovered he'd been shot, the assumption was not it was a homicide. Authorities figured it was a stray round from a hunter or maybe a rancher. But they did not open a homicide investigation. It's May 5th, 1968. It's been about 13 months since they found little Bernard's body. Now there's a Boy Scout troop and they're camping out at Headwater State Park which is just down the road from Manhattan. And it's still in Gallatin County, Montana. So we've got the same jurisdiction. Little Michael Rainey, he's 12 years old. Now, I don't know if there's any relation or not, but the little friend of Bernard's that was with him when he was shot and killed, his name was Logan Rainey. So I don't know if they were brothers or cousins or no kin at all but they're both from Manhattan so I f- figure there's got to be some kin there either way that night little Michael sitting in his tent and our suspect gets inside the tent Strikes little Michael in the head with some type of blunt object. Chokes him. And then when that failed to kill him, he stabbed him to death. Now later on, our suspect would deny that he struck little Michael in the head for what that's worth. Evidently the him, it made a difference. So little Michael's body is found the next day in the tent or later that morning. And now we have a homicide investigation. Now at that time, even though You've got Michael obviously murdered. The resource material doesn't say anything about authorities reopened the investigation into little Bernard's death. So as far as authorities are concerned, we've got a homicide at Headwater State Park. It's June 25th, 
1973. And up till now, if you think the actions of our suspect are not terribly atrocious, or if you don't look at him as a homicidal bastard that he is, what we're about to talk about now will probably tip the scales in that direction. Now, a family from Michigan, they come down and they visit the area of Manhattan. Husband, wife, I believe they got three kids. Now they stay at that same state park campground, the Headwater State Park, more properly named Missouri Headwater State Park. As you might guess, the Chamber of Commerce is probably not too quick to tell people visiting that, oh, by the way, that state park you're staying in the campground. We had a young child viciously murdered there. Because who would think it would happen again? So on the night of the 25th, the parents are sleeping in one tent and the kids are sleeping in a second tent right beside the parents. Our suspect takes his knife and he slits a hole in the side of the tent and he's able to grab little Susan Jaeger who's all the seven years old and he carries her off. Now the resource material doesn't state it but I have to figure that if he's able to get away with her nobody woke up then I'm thinking that right off the bat he struck her in the head he stunned her in some way similar to the MO he used on the little boy scout that way keep her from crying out so he leaves with her and he takes her up to the Lockhart Ranch. It's an abandoned ranch. And it's not too far down the road from the state park. Now once he gets her to the ranch, he takes her clothes off and he murders her. Now, resource material mentions he choked her to death. Another source said he stabbed her to death. In any event, it reached the same solution. She was dead. Now, he would later say that little Susan fought back fiercely to no avail. Now, after he killed little Susan, he dismembered her body with a hunting knife and a wood saw, and then he burned the body in a fire pit and scattered the ashes and bones around the 
Lockhart place, all except for her head. And he took her head and he displayed it inside the outhouse there at the abandoned ranch. It's February 10th, 1974. Sandy Smolligan, 19 years old, she went to a basketball game up at the school. She left there. She stopped by the American Legion bar there on East Main. And then she went to her apartment, went to sleep. Now at some point, our suspect broke into her apartment. Now, I don't know if he knocked her out or how he got her to his car. I'm sorry, not his car. Actually used her car. I'm going to guess he was probably at his little shop there in town. And then he walked over there. He loaded her up in her car. And he drives her over to the Lockhart place. The ranch there up in the hills. Now the next day, family called the police and due to the events that had been occurring, they were on it pretty quick. Now they got to searching on the roads and in the air. Now they located her car up there at the ranch. So then they got to looking around and they found the saw blade. They also found a barrel full of charred remains. Now by then the local authorities had gotten the FBI out there. They were out there for days. Now they found over 1,200 bone shards. Now of interest to them was the fact that the crime lab identified bones from two different humans, one little girl and one young woman. So now they're thinking that they found the burial ground for little Susan. Now they checked out the outhouse and they found bones that they identified to be little Susan's including part of her skull. Now this was the first case that the FBI actually did their their profiling and the FBI was pretty right on because they said that the person they were looking for was going to be a male white, young, loner, and he had uh, or would have military training. 
Now, at the same time they're dealing with this, the parents of little Susan kept getting anonymous calls. Police got anonymous calls. The FBI field office did. Someone claiming they had Susan and they wanted money. Now, that was going to be our suspect. And then the suspect on the anniversary of Susan's turning up missing from the tent, he called the family. He was calling them at odd times throughout the months. Went on and started trying to trace calls that came into the house. And they were recording them. Now, eventually, they were able to play for the family of uh, little Susan recordings of their interviews with the suspect. And they said positively that was the man that was calling them. Now, they eventually get him in, and with the recordings, they also had a rancher that said he had a long-distance call that went from his house to Michigan, where little Susan's family was at. He said he didn't make it. Well, they looked into it, and someone had used his phone line to make calls from somebody that would have to have training in communications, just like our suspect. Now, they eventually got a warrant. They searched his house. They let his attorney go as well because he wasn't talking. Now, they found Sandra's severed hand and a couple of her fingers in the freezer, the freezer at his house. So now he decided to confess to killing Sandra and little Susan. Now, in order to get the death penalty off, they he went on to confess to killing little Bernard Pullman and Michael Rainey. Now, just hours after he confessed, they took him back to the jail and he hung himself. That's four cases, close death of offender. 